When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creaseman. And I'm Ira Creaseman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics. When last we left our heroes, a whole lot was going on. I feel like these previously yeah. ons are, you know, no. we've compared this game to Final or to Game of Thrones a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it, the, the previously ons are very similar, where you just got to kind of throw some things together. Like, we can't explain everything, but a princess who had been kidnapped by our best friend from a previous life has been caught up to and re-kidnapped, unkidnapped, uh, taken aback. I don't know. <laughs> what have we done? Ophelia we rescued her, sort of. Is that what we've done? Well... well that's part of what this episode's going to be about. We, and by we, I suppose, I mean the heroes again, which is a, a loose term in this story, but Ramza Beolv and the Holy Knight Agrius have rescued Princess Ovelia to the best of their knowledge and ability. Yes, good. And have decided to take her to the Church of Lionel. Lionel, Lionel, they they pronounce it in a minute, but how French do you want to be with it? I guess it's up to you. <laughs> right, because because uh, the cardinal of the Galapagos Church is right. <laughs> is a third party, right? He's not of the northern sky or the southern sky. Uh, he and Darwin are looking at uh, the beaks of birds. <laughs> Going to confuse anyone listening to this for the first time. So. To actually set it up, for those of you who are going through the story, the Church of Galbados, Galbados, yeah, is seen to be a third neutral party right now, right? We've got Dukes Larg and Goltana battling for power in the absence of the king who has died and all of the things that go on with that. And so our heroes have thought this Princess Ovelia, who had been adopted by the king who should maybe be the heir let's just get her out of the way so she's not a pawn and or murdered in all of this political goings on we're going to take her to the church so that Larg and Goltana can battle it out amongst themselves but we can at least save this innocent princess right we've got a goal that sounds like a worthy goal to me all right so we're off to Lionel And on the way, (laughs) once again, our heroes stumble upon a person being pursued by brigands. So those who've been following this show for a while remember that we've been talking about for a minute now the decision that the Final Fantasy hero does whatever would get a Stark killed. And this is the moment that it comes from where I realized it as playing through this because if you recall earlier in the story and in this game, we had a very similar situation pop up with Argoth, who ended up being a classist douchebag who murdered Delita's sister right in front of us. And now Ramza is once again confronted with this decision. A stranger 
is fleeing from a group of people who are pursuing him. And you have to decide, do we save this person? And actually, your two decisions here are save him through honor and virtue or save him because it's the only thing there is to do. (laughs) So you don't really have much of a choice from a gameplay standpoint, but it is interesting to me that once again... Ramza just through, I don't know, whatever the goodness in his heart, the kindness that we're supposed to believe exists under there through all the political machinations decides he's going to save this young man who is wielding a very unfamiliar device as a yeah. weapon. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like Ramza, you could say that, hey, you know, he's just, he's not learning the lesson of Argoth, right? But hey, I, I just saw No Way Home last night. Right, And right. A, a big part of that movie is we're, we're going to do, we're going to try to help be, people because it's what's right. And sometimes there will be consequences, but that doesn't mean that you don't try to help people because it's what's right. I mean, that's why we're escorting Princess Ovelia to the Cardinal in, in Lionel. So, yes, of course, we're going to help this guy being beset upon by five or six goons. In addition to that, we get the next bit of huge introductory themes here, right? So is there not enough on your plate if you've been following along with all the political machinations and everything going along with Duke's Larg and Goltana and the Northern Sky and the Southern Sky and Ovelia and her role in all of this? Now we have, Ira, our first mention of the Stones, as these people pursuing this young man say, give us the stone. That's all we need. We needn't take your life. Just give us the stone. Stone? What stone? I don't have any stone. I don't have any stone. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on here. And so, again, as any good RPG heroes do, you save the young man who appears to maybe be the good guy? Yeah, certainly... Well, I mean, he wasn't pursuing them. Fair enough. Right. He was the one not threatening murder. So you save him. Mm -hmm. Now, I have to ask you, Ira. Uh If you recall our first (laughs) Uh (laughs) playing of this battle. And the fact that this is actually a very difficult battle to get through, especially if you weren't used to strategic tactical RPGs back in the day with just the fact that the the bad guys have kind of a fort that they can hide behind and you really have to be thoughtful about the way you approach this battle. And it took us many, many times to win. Yes. And I assume you recall that we adopted a particular <laughs> phrase for many years. Oh, yeah. To this day, though Indeed. less so. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I can't remember how, how it had been phrased. We have the War of the Lions script in front of us. But when you finally win, of course, Mustadio thanks you. And we learned that his name is Mustadio, mm-hmm. which was this phenomenal name. And I, as a, a, young, a very young person, had replied, well, no prob, Bob, because that was a phrase that I had learned as a young child. And you replied, not Bob. <laughs> no prob, Mustadio. So we we said for years, and this is something that, like this had to be just, just you and me are the only people who in our lives ever said no prob mustadio for years. Yes, no prob mustadio. We got to bring it back. No one will know, but no, just you and me. Yeah, no prob mustadio. But now now we are introduced to this character. What a fantastic name, the machinist mustadio. Yeah, he's, uh, uh, I mean, quick character study, right? So he's he wears overalls in the battle. He, he wields a pistol. Got the, uh, the, the long hair and the, and the ponytail. I can appreciate that. Yeah. You know, he's running away from these goons, who, uh, some of whom have his father held kidnapped. Uh, that's, that's part of the point, too, here. Uh, his father's being held, and he's looking for help. So as we come to talk to this young Mustadio, he describes himself as a machinist and asks if Rams or Agrius know what machinists are. And, and Agrius does a little bit. She mentions that they say that the ruins of a lost civilization lie buried beneath the city streets of Gog, the clockwork city. 
She says that relics from the age of St. Ajora, when airships, numerous beyond counting, filled the skies, and men of iron walked the city streets. But the art of crafting such things was lost, if it ever truly existed at all. And I, I, I can't help but in our modern mind think of that as a description of Final Fantasy XII's Ivalice with all of the sure. airships in the sky and the judges, the men of iron, walking the yeah. streets. Absolutely. And, and we've talked about this before, but fantasy stories, speculative fiction often has that ancient society that was maybe a little more technologically advanced. We talk about Atlantis sometimes as a sort of parallel to that in, in real world myth, legend, and folktale, but I, I finished Stranger of Paradise not that long ago, and man, the Lufenians are, are that also, sort of. Right. So that's that's something often seen in Final Fantasy, and I think it is used to good effect here. Yeah, especially when Mustadio replies, but it did exist. The ground beneath Gog holds the hulks of air. I love that he calls airships the hulks of air ships and a thousand fragments of machines the gods alone know the workings of a machinist toils to restore this lost legacy to see these works brought to life again yeah what an interesting idea of of the machinist right not as an inventor necessarily but as a restorer and that's again a part of that steampunk tradition that we've talked about not of necessarily inventing a new technology like a computer but repurposing an old technology that used to be a post and now it's a lamp you know or whatever that you can turn things and and i just love this idea that they're finding these ancient technologies that feel futuristic and then he explains about his pistol that a weapon that uses explosive powder to propel a metal projectile toward its target, you know, explained in such basic terms to these folks for whom a gun would seem like an absolutely absurd piece of tech. And of course, this is a very early pistol, you know, he's not out there wielding an AK-47 or anything. Right. Not like Noctis will later. Sure. So then, of course, we get to the the meat of the matter, and the Holy Knight Agrius asks, why do these hounds of what we have learned are called the Bart Bert? Bert? How are we pronouncing this? B-A-E-R-T? Bert is probably more correct than Bart. But I will probably still say Bart from time to time. I know, right? (laughs) The The Bert Trading Company. Why do they pursue you, Mustadio? Uh, and Mustadio starts to get just a little bit loose with our, our party here. He, he answers the question with a question, saying, Hey, aren't, aren't you going to see Cardinal De La Croix? Hmm. Huh. Well, and that, that makes me worry, right? Because Argoth Again, got a yeah, little... Yeah, who do we, do who do we yeah. trust? Yeah, I trust Agraeus, right? I trust Ovelia. I trust the people, you know, the, the unnamed characters who have been with me since the beginning. But right now, that's about it. So we get a little exposition here from Mustadio about the Cardinal. He says he was a hero who fought in the Fifty Years' War. To this day, the people of Lionel honor him as such, as does my father. He believes that the Cardinal is the only man who can keep the realm free from descending into chaos. The Cardinal will receive you, he says, and he will hear your plea, and the princess will be safe. Uh, see, this is when I start to worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but then, you know, Agri says, okay, okay, well, what do you want? Mustadio, like any good RPG NPC to this point, just says, I want to come along. I want to join the party. I want to hang with y'all, you know? And I got to check after my dad. Like you right. mentioned, dad is imprisoned. He wants to get dad out. Let's join the hero party. That may be a way to do it which which does incline me to trust him right like he, yeah he wants to help his father his father's being held by the shinra electric company right capitalists pig dogs and yeah i mean the giant trading corporation tends not to be the good guys but that's like the the fourth faction we've introduced now <laughs> right right and it, yeah it, it continues to get more and more confusing I love, though, that Agrius does not drop the thread. She says, 
you didn't answer my question. Yeah. Why is the Bert Trading Company so interested in you? And Mustadio, in the most honest moment he's had so far, says, I cannot tell you. Not now. I can appreciate that. Yeah. That's better than a lie. Yeah, I agree. He he doesn't ever actually lie. He dissembles. He answers a question with a question. But eventually when it comes down to it, it's like, look, I can't. I can't tell you. He even pleads for trust, which is tough <laughs> given everything we've seen thus far. He says, I must uh-huh. see the Cardinal and you must trust me, please. Like... Trust and must are not two things we're putting together right now, buddy. Right. But you know who makes the decisions on these things right now? Who's that? That would be the princess. She does outrank everybody else in the room. That's right. And there's this great mirrored moment, if you'll recall earlier in the story, when Larg entered the room and a couple of people kneeled who knew they were supposed to, and Argoth didn't because he didn't know he was supposed to. Right. We get a mirror of that scene here. As Ovelia enters the room, Ramza and Agrius hit their knees immediately. And Mustadio stands. Because he doesn't know who this is. Right. But she seems to trust him and says, Very well, you will come with us. And he does the groveling and the thank you and the thank you. And Agrius finally notes, bruh. She doesn't say bruh. I'm editorializing <laughs> here a little bit. I, I w- as I was watching this, I was like, Mustadio, get to your knees, brother. Like even I, you know, and mm-hmm. like I'm like after nobility or whatever. But dude. And she says, you stand before the princess. And he, and he takes a knee. And she does the president bartlett thing oh keep stand up stand up you don't need to do all that keep your seats you don't it's the opposite right they stand when the president enters he says stay stay sitting they kneel and she says arise arise please let's not be ridiculous so they decide to travel together to Lionel, lionel leonay Now would be a good time to go back to the pub for some rumors. Because you might be wondering, okay, you know, are, is the BART uh, Trading Company really the bad guys? So the rumor is, the BART Trading Company, a successful trading company based in the merchant city of Orgilis, has garnered the favor of the populace by donating generously to bridge and road building projects, as well as local orphanages. Okay, good. You know what? Philanthropy. Excellent. We've talked about philanthropists before on this podcast. Yeah. But not all of the talk surrounding this company is favorable. Many say the true source of the trading company's wealth is of a most unsavory nature. Opium smuggling, slave trading, and even murder most foul. So like I've said, we've talked about philanthropists before on this podcast. You know, Carnegie gave a lot of money away on his deathbed. You know, one of the things that this description actually kind of reminds me of is the Black Panthers. You know, that's always one of those things that's been totally bastardized in American history and understanding and in a lot of like documentaries and stuff. But there was a violent element to it. And one of the things they did that was actually totally legitimate was education, food, housing. The reason, if you've ever eaten lunch at school or breakfast at school, school lunch programs were pushed hard by the Black Panthers in this country. When nobody else was pushing for it. Right. So again, we have in Final Fantasy Tactics, as you mentioned, our fifth or sixth or seventh faction. And none of them going back to the Corpse Brigade, who were sold to us as these like horrible mercenaries of death. But who, again, what were they fighting for? Housing? Food? A livable wage? (laughs) Like right, a, a life, you know. So as much as these Barrett Trading Company guys, you know, you immediately you want to be like, well, to hell with them. Like you get why, and, and remember in that great episode of The West Wing after nine eleven, when Charlie makes the comparison between terrorist organizations and gangs. Like there sure. is a fine line between we're going to help you out and give you a sense of belonging. And we're going to twist your anger, which is legitimate, 
into a source of putting down other people and violence. And that's what happens when the powerful fight with each other is that those who don't have power are left in a vacuum to do crap like this, right? So there's there's a confrontation with some of uh, the BART trading company's hired goons. They want, you know, they're still after Mustadio. And we were just talking about how Grayus is like, I don't know, man, you haven't answered our questions. I'm not sure what's going on. But the princess, the princess said, he's with us now. So she says, our way is his. If you wish no quarrel, I advise you to withdraw. And when you next see Ludovic, remind him that those who live by deceit are first to die by it. Mm-hmm. Ludovic being in charge of the, the Bart trading company. It's Ludovic Bart or Bert. Right. I love that she backs Mustadio in this moment. And primarily, again, she pulls from her own source of honor when she says those who live by deceit are first to die by it. She appreciates the earnestness and honesty she has felt from Mustadio and recognizes that these cell swords are out for money and power. Right. I imagine she's not a very good liar. Right. She's one of those people that if you're watching the television show at home and she's in a moment where she needs to lie in order to help the heroes, you're like, please, please tell the useful lie. And then she doesn't. And you're mad at her because she doesn't know how (laughs) she literally it's like the invention of lying. Like she has she doesn't know how to do it. She truly believes in all this honor shit in a world where nobody has any. Right. I love her. Or, Or where having it punishes you by killing your best friend's little sister. Right? Totally. Mm. So again, as often happens on the long journey, after we dispatch of the, the brigands on the road, right? we have to stop for a bit of respite in all of this, and we get another just absolutely beautiful scene. I'm just going to, like, spoiler warning, or non-spoiler warning, or whatever, for those of you listening, we finally get, don't worry, nothing horrible is going to happen right away. just because tactics has been so brutal and we get so few of these it's just we get this nice scene ira where people are human yeah it's it's really quite lovely and so as lionel castle sort of presumably they're, they're looking at it we can't see what they're seeing but presumably it's coming into view in the far distance and Lady Agria stops and, and speaks to the princess and says, Lionel Castle, Highness, do you see it just beyond the mountains? You know, they're sort of waxing poetic on on all of that. And then they sort of start getting into the issue at hand. And Ovelia asks, do you really think the Cardinal will aid us? And I'm so glad that Ovelia asks that question. Because, like... There haven't been any good guys yet. <laughs> right, and she's no dummy. Right. Right. She, yeah, you know, she understands that she's put away in these convents because, you know, they're trying to protect her or whatever, but she's also being kept out of the way. And she knows that the reason that she's out and about now is because they decided out of the way isn't good enough. And so... Agrius does what she knows best to do, which is rely on the information she has available to her. And she says, the Cardinal is said to be a man with utmost devotion to the crown. Even amid this turmoil, he has held the middle ground, siding with neither Duke Larg nor Duke Goltana. So I do not think him a man to sully his honor by handing you over to either side. That's sound logic. Yes. So even though she may not be a very good liar, she does have a little political savvy there. She understands what's going on around her. But boy, the second she said that, my brain starts going, oh, no, what is, (laughs) you know, what is the third option? Yep. And Avelia, I love this choice of words because she is, first of all, a religious, pious person before she is a logical person. And so rather than accepting the logic as foolproof, or that there couldn't be any problems with it. She says this, I pray you are right. Which in a certain reading, you could say, God, I hope you're not deceived and naive, Agrius. Yeah. I pray that you are right. 
Not I believe you are right. Not I think you are right. Not I know you are right. I pray that you are right. Because they don't got a lot of choices. And then Agrius gives a little more logic and, and argues a little bit more. But Ovelia's sort of moved on to her general problem in life. And she says, and I, I love this line so much, Ira. She says, would that I were born no princess. And, and I get that. And, and it's an excellent line. And I don't want to be in her position either. But is the other option Titra? Right. Think of all the people who have it less off than you. And yet, do we want Ovelia's life? No. but And that's as much about, or, or let me put it to you as a question. Do you think that's as much about because she's a woman? Because if she were the stepbrother of the, of the now dead king, would, would that person just be in right. charge now? Right. Right. So is that a reflection on how women are so frequently treated in these sort of medieval era-esque games and stories? Exactly right. This is a comment on agency. She's about to describe to us very specifically that she has had no agency. And Agrius, who is a holy knight, who is sworn to protect her and not really much else, has to intrinsically understand. And all she can say, and again, this gets very much to the point, is my lady. Ellipses. You know, just not much else to say. And then we get the most words we've heard from the princess to this point in the story. She says, my entire life has been spent behind sacred walls. The only sky I've known hemmed by slate and stone. Did you know before I was born, I was sent to Orbon? I was in another monastery? When I heard I was to be the adopted daughter of the late king and after, even in the monastery. It's not been such a bad life, I suppose. Only knowing that men die for no more reason than I am the princess. It's almost more than I can bear. Yeah, that's tough. And I mean, imagine being shepherded from, and is it a Game of Thrones line or, or something else? The comfortable prison is still a prison. Right. From monastery to monastery as people die in your name. Yeah, people dying in her name. People she's never met, people who will never meet her. Yeah, that's... Ugh. I... Ovelia is one of the people in this story who I try very deeply to empathize with because almost none of us really know what that's actually like. Right? Like, that's just something we can hear a person say. And again, like you said, especially those of us who, like, don't have much. You know, you go, how can you complain about your feather beds and your silk sheets and your beautiful clothes and your personal guard, who you're here complaining to? But she, too, is a victim in all of this. And Agrius responds, you cannot blame yourself. The fault lies with those who would use you for their own ends. And she's right. Yeah. Almost all of whom are men, let's not forget. I mean, there's the queen, I guess, but she never really shows up. She only shows up in rumors and histories and whatnot. It's the it's the Dice Dargs and the Goltanas and the Largs and the right. others who will remain nameless for the moment who are scheming. Yeah. So... I do wonder sometimes if speculative fiction or Final Fantasy has a way of saying, hey, really, it's the men. It's the patriarchy. This exactly. is a comment on the patriarchy. It Excellent. absolutely yes. is. And during this entire conversation, Ovelia is kind of like fiddling with leaves off of the tree. She's just kind of she's talking to a grayish and she just kind of keeps picking leaves off the tree. Like it's some kind of a like a nervous tick. It's so beautifully done, even in its primitive graphics. Like it just seems like she's doing something to keep her hands busy because she's having such a mental issue here. Right. 
And then she says to Agrius, you know, there was another girl at Orbone. And she told me that she too had lived her entire life within monastery halls. And we joked that we should share such a strange fate. And it was a weird thing to laugh at. They're laughing at their own pain. These two young girls. It reminds me of your book. Of piety and temperance. Of, you know, these young girls who don't have a any connection to the outside world except each other. They only find authenticity in each other. Again, this is about the patriarchy. It's not an accident. <laughs> right. So I I love that we get uh, a connection here because Agraeus knows who the princess is talking about. She says, you speak of Lady Alma of House Beowulf. And we kind of glossed over it, but Ramza has sort of he didn't crash the party here, but he, like, he saw that they were having a conversation and sort of stands off to one side not to interrupt. Dropping, <laughs> yeah, dropping some dropping. eaves here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're talking about his little sister, and Ovelia says, "Yeah, she was my only friend." What if, again, because she is no dummy, what if Cardinal Delacroix makes to use me like all the rest? So, you know, what if this third party, this neutral third party, really isn't? And yeah, why should we believe it at this point? Everyone else has been such a shithead. I love that she asks the question. Because again, they could try to play coy with us or try to be like, Hey, you don't, we, you think this guy's going to be a good guy. But they're already planting the seeds of like, you know how this is going to go, right? Like you get what we're doing here. You understand the world that you're in. And... And like you said, I think one of the most important things about all of this is showing to us that Ovelia is not a dummy. She's not just a doll being thrown about in the wind here. She's doing whatever she can to exert her agency, which isn't much, but it's what she has. And, you know, after some nice words about his sister and kind of seeing Ovelia fiddle with the leaves a little bit. And you start thinking, oh, is she trying to do the thing we saw earlier in the scene with Rams and Delita? And she is. Yeah. And this is such a beautiful mirroring of the whole thing, because once she gets a leaf, Ovelia tries to blow on it. And she says, ah, she can't get it to make a sound. She says, a friend of mine once showed me how to do this, but I've, I've never quite gotten it right. And Ramza. Ah. Yeah. You know, as we saw with, with the Lita as shown by his father and now passing it on to princess Ovelia, who maybe started to learn it from his own sister, Alma yeah. shows her how to blow through the blade of grass, through the leaf to make a little whistle sound. To, to draw a connection to another Final Fantasy, it would be like, uh, you know, the new guy trying to trying to show the uh, the priestess, who's always very dour, how to laugh. <laughs> right, right, right. Because this is such a, a down scene, but it ends on a note of like, well, here is some hope. And it's really quite beautiful. So like I said... That's the end of the scene. All right. That's the end of the game. Right. Roll some credits. Yeah, we're, here, we're good. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing else bad will happen. Early. Oh, my God. It only gets harder and harder. It, it does. This next bit is pretty brutal. <laughs> we had momentary respite. All right. So we go off to uh, a scene without Ramza and the heroes. We're in Dystarg's office. Somewhere in the Bale of Mance, I'm sure. Mm. And it's Dystarg and Gafgarian. We already know Gafgarian uh, was in it to make sure the princess was properly kidnapped. Didn't work, right? So he's answering to Dystarg, who, of course, is orchestrating all this nonsense for the northern white lions. Uh, they speak in euphemisms here, which I think is interesting. Dystarg says, Our little mockingbird is taken wing, Gafgarian, and it leaves me wroth. The Mockingbird, I, I assume, has to be the princess. 
I wonder, is this kind of talking in code a sort of paranoia for people if they're always conspiracying, if they're always lying and plotting? Do they assume sure. that anyone else around could be lying and plotting and scheming and so they speak in code just yeah, in case? Even just amongst themselves, perhaps. Right. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, they're in the Oval Office and somebody's running a recording. Right. But, I mean, yeah, maybe there's a servant around who's actually a spy. That's interesting. Yeah, the guard standing in the corner, you know, from Monty Python. <laughs> could be anybody. That guard in the corner could go and say, that's how paranoid these guys are. Right. So he says to Gafgarian, we cannot have her free. Catch her, crush her, and make silent her song. Lady Agraeus is in the others as well. Huh. And Gafgarian says, huh, all of them, huh? What about Ramza? <laughs> what a, you know. Even the people he works for and is ostensibly allied with, he can't stop poking at him. Gafgarian's a dick. I, I do appreciate that he's an equal opportunity dick. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> that he's not just a dick to Agrius and Ramza, but as soon as Dice Dark and Zalbog are like, do this, he's like, are you guys sure? Like, you know what you're ordering me to do, right? Like, uh, for the right price, I'll do it. Yeah, I it's not just... like he's got a problem with it. <laughs> right. I just want to make sure you know what you're ordering me to do. So Dice Dark calls Ramza a fool. He says he soils our name. Dogs my every move. I thought this a chance to let him learn the harsh truths of the world. But the boy is too stubborn. And Gafferian is like, yeah, he's too much like your father. <laughs> oh! <laughs> he didn't like that. Uh, too uh, much of his father's... Right, yeah. No, you do your thing. Back it up. Do it. <laughs> oh, man. I... Again, it's like you can't. Gafgarian's got a a wit and a fierceness about him that you hate when it's a, it's like a sport. There's that the thing in uh, sports they say the athlete who you hate him when he's on the other team. God, you sure. hate that guy. But if yeah. he's on your team, you're like, yeah, get him, <laughs> get him, get him, get him, get him, get him. So uh, Dice Dark says, "Father coddled the boy too much. Mm. If he stands aside." More the better. Should he interfere, there's not can be done. It's a bastard anyway, right? Yeah. What does he care? He's basically a commoner. Yeah. And you, his brother, the blood curdles. If the cardinal moves to defend the mockingbird, what then? Duke Larg himself could not reach them in the umbrage of the church's wing. And I think that's an interesting use of the word umbrage. Because I do too. In yeah. modern language, we tend to use umbrage to mean take offense, right? You take umbrage. But in this case, umbrage means the shadow. Yeah, literally under the umbrella of. Right. And that he doesn't know which way the church will go at this point is intriguing as well. But Dice Dark's not worried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that potentiality has been addressed. Mm. Oh, my lord, you're ever three steps ahead, says Gafgarian. You are a frightening man, Dystard Beowulf. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Dystard's like, that's right I am. Would it not be prudent then to better guard your tongue? There are so many frightening ways to silence a bothersome one. I'm would I would bet money this is not the first time somebody has threatened to cut out Dice Dark's tongue. Or I'm Gaff, sorry. Gafgarian's Gafgarian's yeah. tongue, yeah. <laughs> yeah? Look here, still got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? People have been threatening that for a while, dude. Uh, probably when he was a child. I'm Shut sure. your mouth. Gafgarian has clearly been he's so good at shit talking, he clearly didn't start just like a year or two ago. Oh man. Gafgarian. Uh, not above a little boot licking. Come now, my lord. I am ever your faithful man. Ever. And and not near so stubborn as a particular knight devout, if I might be so bold. Ooh. Always trash talking her even when she's not in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. I agree. This you will know, kick your ass. I love, the, I love it. So speaking of the patriarchy, is Gafgirian that dude who's like, oh... Girls can't be knights. 
And oh, of course totally. she would be she would be a holy knight instead of a dark knight because girls like pretty things instead of dark things. But she's not even that good at it. He's like, literally the uh, guy who would trash talk Brienne of Tarth right up till the moment she was murdering his face. <laughs> so Gafgarian says, speaking of missteps, what buffoon did you put in charge of taking the uh, princess kidnapped? We were beset in Dorter as we gave chase. Not quite how we discussed. I'm sure you'd agree. And Dystarg, and he's poured himself a drink at this point, and he walks to the window, and he says, The men I sent were found dead in the woods near the monastery. Someone has caught wind of our plan, and it seems is intent on disrupting it. No matter. As long as Ovilia remains with Lady Agraeus, we will have chance enough to steal back our prize. So the kidnapping of Princess Ovilia was not meant to be by Delita Hyrule. Ah, and Gafgarian totally unwittingly and unknowingly mirrors the ideology of Princess Ovelia. Nice. And he says, I pray that you are right for both our sakes. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Gafgarian just didn't want to end up dead. <laughs> right. That seems to be his whole totally. uh, point, right? Which I get. Like, yeah. he's not responsible for most of this either, right? He's he's Cloud after a sense, or Cl- who Cloud thinks he is at the beginning of Final Fantasy VII. At the beginning, right? He's Cloud at the beginning, right. Right, because there's Avalanche versus Shinra, and he just wants to get paid and not die. <laughs> right. And I understand that. For all that, he's a shit-talking asshole. Right. Patriarchy neckbeard dude. Uh, he's... Just trying to survive in a world that is not nice to anybody. So after a small bit more of travel back with our heroes, they arrive indeed at the castle of Cardinal Delacroix. And a little bit of speaking with the people outside, but you get the idea. They're let in. There's you know, all this beautiful candle lighting and inside castle and ornate table and all the things you do when you go and see the holy church man. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's after a fashion to be like seeing the Pope, right? I'm not right. sure he's in charge in charge, but he's high up in the church. Yeah, we, we start to get a little bit of that here. Like, what exactly is the church hierarchy? Because they, they start to reveal some of that to us here. So, not unlike our introduction to another leader in this world when we first met Larg, the Cardinal immediately seems very Dumbledore-esque. Very happy sure. to see us. Yeah. Very, I will help you out. I I would love to lend whatever help I can. I'll send a small dispatch courier to the city of Belande to, to help out with some of the news of, of what's going on here. I, I want to look into Duke Larg's misdeeds and ensure him that no harm shall befall you, princess. Thank goodness. Big sigh of relief, right? Huge moment where we go, thank God we did the right thing, right? We took her to the right place. And then Agrius says, Your Eminence, do you believe that the High Confessor will hear our plea? And we're introduced to this concept. And again, the Cardinal gives us, you know, assurances fear not and all that you are in my care now the princess can scarce feel at ease while those tasked with her safety are vexed with such worriment you may enjoy the comforts of the castle he says wanting though they are he, he tries to act as though he's, they're very humble, humble brag very, very humble, humble brag yeah. Yeah, that is a humble brag that's good. yeah but we will await for the reply from the politicians basically right Ugh. the <laughs> Sorry if we're spoiling with our yuckiness, but come on, right? We've been in this world for a minute. And then he invokes the saint. Yes. And things get much more deeply spiritually confusing, conflicted, difficult, we've, what have you. We've talked before about how Final Fantasy often leads you along a path of here's here's the world, here's the story, and then... Oftentimes, not in every game, but in most games, suddenly you're going to the moon or there's a time warp or actually the world is destroyed or there are two worlds or 
uh, is there like a hidden city in Final Fantasy VIII? <laughs> right, 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 right. And this is where we start getting hints of what's going to be the weird, the weirdness, right? Like this isn't just uh, warring factions trying to take the throne. I mean, it is, but also. Right. So the Cardinal says he will send a hand-picked company of his finest men to go to put an end to this whole Bert trading company thing. But he also says that so long as St. Ajora is our guide, we have not to fear. Which sounds normal to the people of this world. Sure. Again, it's he may as well sign off, you know, <laughs> what would Jesus do? <laughs> sure, sure. So long as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to be fine. It's a similar idea. Right. And there there hasn't been a whole lot of religion in Final Fantasy up to this point. In Final Fantasy 1, and I think 2, there are chapels around. Like in Final Fantasy 1, the, the vampire wrecks uh, a church in a town because it, like, it bothers him. The holy magics bother him. We talked about it a little bit in 6, where there are the, the deific beings that have the statues, but like nobody is worshiping them, right? So this is the first time where we've got a church where people are specifically worshiping deities and there's a a church hierarchy, right? There's an organized religion. And I think I I have seen people say on various social medias that Final Fantasy is very anti-religion. I don't think that's fair, but certainly the church in this story is up to something. Right. They're not the good guys the same way that nobody really in this story are the good guys so the cardinal is agreeing to help our party and mustadio and and mustadio's father right but he does say conditioned upon that he does want to hear the reason why the bert trading company is pursuing mustadio's father and when he says this he takes out a stone a red bright stone and places it on the table in front of him. Oh man, I wonder if a crystal would be important in a Final Fantasy game. Right. And Agria calls it exactly that, a crystal? And Delacroix, the cardinal, mirrors our teller of the story, if you recall, from the very beginning, Arislam, when he asked us if we were familiar with the story, he says almost the exact same words. You are familiar with the legend of the Zodiac Braves? Ah, we know this is the story of the Zodiac Braves, and yet this is the first time in text that they have been mentioned. So Agraeus here gets to take the role of the the one who doubts. She's a holy knight, right? She's a paladin. Uh, She channels holy energy. Maybe that's the energy of the gods. Tough to say in this kind of a world. But she says, In my youth, I often heard a fanciful tale of that name at Mass. And Delacroix says, What's this? Surely, Lady Agraeus, you do not aver that the church would mislead its flock. And Agraeus is like, Oh, no. Sorry, sir. I didn't. I, I would never question. Yeah. I didn't question the church. Gosh. She probably got in trouble once or twice, not being yeah. able to lie, uh, for questioning. Uh, you know the the yeah. people in charge of wherever she was training. Well, and we've seen how kind of logic driven she is already, right? So this is kind of a quick moment of remember, you are the holy knight, Agraeus. Yep. So Ovilia the pious. Long ago, before the mountains had ceased their wandering and struck their roots into the earth, the Lukavi held dominion over the world. Twelve heroes there were who came forward to challenge these Lukavi. In a long and bitter struggle, they succeeded in driving the Lukavi to the spirit world, and Ivalis again knew peace. The twelve each bore an orosite crystal, 
emblazoned with a house of the night sky. And so, in time, they became known as the Zodiac Braves. Ever after, when discord and strife paid visit to the halls of men, they would return to save us once more. Nice story. Yeah. And you know what? In Final Fantasy, when you get the prophecy of what's happened before and what's going to happen again, that's right. This is the thing. This is the right. thing, right? Right. This is the Lufinians saying, okay, here's, here's the prophecy. Right. It, this is, this is uh, Mog or whomever in Final Fantasy VI saying, here's the history. Right. And now we War know it to magic. be true. Yeah. But in Final Fantasy VII, they lied to us. <laughs> so yeah. now I'm a little more skeptical. Yeah, right, right. And so they tell us this, and she she says the story as it is told, as it should be known, and the cardinal praises her for having been a most apt pupil. What a good little sheep you are. Yeah. Because he just did the flock. Like, I'm, I'm editorializing, obviously, but sure. he, he did say we would not mislead the flock, which has always struck me as interesting. The walrus because, and the carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. Because we use that as an insult now. Oh, you're such a sheep. Right. Well, like, but isn't our savior a shepherd? Like, what are you trying to say here? Right. And Ovelia says that Saint Ajora walked with the twelve, and together they saved Ivelisse from ruin. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. It's also why there are 13 in Final Fantasy XII. Right. And then the Cardinal remarks that it's all correct, and that's why we call the crystals of the Twelve the Zodiac Stones. The stone you see before you that he had just placed on his desk is, in fact, one of those stones from that very legend. Cool. Yeah, but this also kind of reminds me of, like, the the uh, holy artifacts, you know, the Shroud of Turin or, yeah. or what have you. Yeah. Like, are you sure? Right. <laughs> this is a good idea. I feel like maybe this isn't a good idea. Yeah. Ovelia then gives it its modern or scientific name. I'm not sure, but she calls it by what people of this age would know it. And that is the word oracite, which has been modernized and standardized in Final Fantasy XII and other things, a, a kind of similar concept to Magicite, sure. Final Fantasy VI, or the Materia of Final Fantasy VII, these sort of ancient, very important, purposeful, magical stones. After the explanation of the stone, the Cardinal notices that Mustadio seems to have shifted in his disposition and says... Have you so seen a stone like this before, young man? You know, <laughs> which he knows the answer to, obviously. Of course. And we trust this guy right now, so of course. Right. So Mustadio explains that, you know, there is this ancient city and the machines and the fires have gone out, but they can still hear and feel the stones when they pass through the ancient city of Gog is, you know, as ancient stones tend to do. So, so it's an energy source, right? Hmm. That's cool. So if you take some of these stones to these machines, you could maybe power up the machine. That's pretty cool. There you go. And so they get into a little back and forth of, I don't know what they are, but you know, my father wouldn't give the Barrett Stone Company the, <laughs> the stone company. That. They are the stone, the trade company that's yeah, after right. the stones. That's what right. they're basically doing. Uh, why? Why would you want to give the capitalist empire uh, such an awesome energy source, Drew? Right. Uh. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, but the cardinal says, "Don't worry, we've got it taken care of. The church will see this matter dealt with." Our forces will strike and wrest the stone from their hands. Oh, well, all right, good then. I'm sure glad we came here. It's solving all of our problems. Everything seems to be on the up and up. Ramza says he'll go with the company to Gog just to make everything, you know, go nice and smoothly. He'll be along with Mustadio, who thanks him. Fantastic. Perfect. We're off on our way. We can leave Ovelia and Agraeus here and nothing bad will happen to them. Surely everything will be fine. 
There is a nice little exchange here at the end when Ovelia says, I can only wish you well, small aid, I know. And Ramza says, your words are all the aid I could ever ask. Is Ramza sweet on the princess? I think a little bit. And and is the princess sweet on Ramza? Less so. <laughs> I, I think she just generally is trying to seek out authentic people. Sure. Who is somebody I can be myself around? Yes. Who's not going to try to use me as a chess piece? Right. Makes as much sense as anyone. So there is a flashback uh, that you can get, but only if you like go into the the journal section or the chronicle section or whatever it is, which describes uh, what happened right before we met Mustadio. So it's between Bisrudio, Mustadio's father, and Mustadio. And he says, take this, take it and run. And Mustadio says, run, run where? And then uh, Ludovic's guys are pounding on the door. Like, we know you're in there, you freaking archaeologists, always getting in our capitalist way. Mustadio's like, dad, I'm not leaving you. And dad's like, no, I can't run. My leg is is what it is. I'm old. You got to get out of here. And Mistadio's like, do you really think I could leave you here alone? Besrudio says, that stone has the power to destroy entire kingdoms. So this is, you know, the cannon uh, on top of the, the town in Final Fantasy VII, right? This is the huge materia so that Scarlet can make her <laughs> right. nuclear weapons right. out of materia, right? He says, we can't let a man like Ludovic Bart have it. You must take it somewhere safe. Go to the Cardinal Delacroix. He'll help you. I'm sure of it. Oh, Bisrudio. I get why he would think that. Right, yeah. Hero of the 50 Years' War, stayed neutral in this whole civil war that's going on. Sure. Yeah. And then Ludovic Bart himself busts into the door, or busts into the room. And he says, no one answered, so we let ourselves in. I'm rich, so I can do whatever I want. Now, he'll yeah, kindly right. hand me the Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, Mustadio runs off, and uh, and Ludovic tells his men to give chase, and that's right before, uh, you know, we find Mustadio and, and choose to rescue him. So, our party of Ramza and his general retinue and Mustadio arrive in the slums of Gog to try to root out... Ludovic and the Bert Trading Company. So, and, and Mustadio's, uh, they, they sort of split up to try to figure out what they're doing. And Mustadio's taken captive, uh, and they come upon Ramza, and Ramza, or excuse me, Mustadio apologizes. And Ramza says, Have they hurt you? So I, I like this because on the one hand, can we trust this guy? He wouldn't tell us what's going on. But this guy's Ramza's friend now. Yeah. And, you know, Ramza hasn't even given up on Delita, who's who's become a politician of all things. Right. So Mustadio is his friend now. Have they hurt you? I love that. Yeah. It just shows us that Ramza is all in on this guy now. Uh, and now we've get, we got like a classic hostage exchange, right? Not a step further, says Ludovic Bart, the... President Shinra of this particular group. Right. He says, I prefer to keep a little distance if you don't mind. And Ramza says, let him go. Let Mustadio go. Ludovic says, I'm a reasonable man. I just want the Orosite. Once I have it, I'll lose him soon enough. So where have you hidden it? Tell me. Bro, we just learned about this stuff like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it was just the last cutscene, man. Yeah, oh, seriously. Break. Come on. So uh, they won't. They don't respond. And Ludovic says, "Is that how you want to play it? Maybe this will hasten your speech." Uh, and another henchman comes out with Mustadio's father, uh, father Basrudio. Uh, and they knock him to the ground. And Mustadio's like, "Dad, what have they done to you?" And Basrudio, uh, all in on not letting the the capitalist bad guys have the powerful energy source. Right. They might try to pillage the promised land if you let them have it. Right. He says, I'm fine. Don't tell them where it is. And so the henchmen grab Basrudio and drag him inside. And Ludovic says, well, feeling a bit more game now. So Mustadio looks at Ludovic and he looks at Ramza and he says, 
There's a chimney just behind you, Ramza. You'll find it there. So Ramza goes to the uh, chimney and he, he digs about inside and he pulls free a sparkling crystal. And he now we get the back and forth. I've got it. Let them go. No, no. Give me the stone. Right. That whole. No, yeah. you release them. This no, thing, give yeah. me. No, yeah, the back and forth. Thing, you, I'll put it down and walk away. You set it there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so Ramza tosses the stone at Ludovic and grabs it. He says, wow, Ludovic does. He says, a true zodiac stone at, at last. This should bring a smile to the cardinal's face. Hey, now. Hang on a second. Wait a minute. Didn't we trust the cardinal? The who now? The who, who where and the what now? And the, uh, no. Maybe there's a different cardinal. <laughs> Maybe he means the other other cardinal. Every time I see the uh, title of cardinal, I can't help but think of Tim Curry in that Disney Three Musketeers. Yeah, <laughs> the Cardinal Richelieu. Uh, you first. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, totally. Nobody in there in that movie sounds French. Yeah, but I right. love that movie. Yeah, so dumb. It's yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Oliver Platt is in the whatever it doesn't matter. <laughs> Chris O'Donnell, Oliver Platt, Charlie Sheen, and Kiefer Sutherland. What a movie! What a stupid God. movie! Oh, so, boy. so yes, the Cardinal's face bring a smile to it. He says to Ramza Mustadio, "You've been most helpful, most helpful. Pity you've outlived your usefulness. Kill him, kill them all." Mm. And Ramza has the Admiral Akbar. It's a trap moment. The Cardinal <laughs> was with them from the start. What? It's a trap, Legolas. Uh, yeah. A diversion. Yeah. Like, I mean, I appreciate sometimes you just got to say, in case you didn't get it, audience, yeah, right. the Cardinal is in on it. He so sent he sent us ha- here. Yeah. Yes. Because the, the, the Cardinal, at the very least, if not the entire church, wants to get a hold of these holy relics. So they hired the the capitalist Bart Trading Company because I mean if they're already doing opening, the right yeah. opium smuggling and yeah. and human trafficking and murder what's a little grave robbing a little yeah. archaeological theft yeah so after winning the battle because don't forget this is a video game <laughs> that's right, the part right. where you do the thing and 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 do the video game stuff we get inside. And discover Mustadio's father, and we learn a few extra things. Not the least of which is that Mustadio is very clever, and that he took the precaution of readying, as he says, a false stone. Whereas Agraeus probably could not lie to save our lives. Mustadio's got no problem doing no that. No problem. <laughs> Was totally ready for it. No problem, Mustadio. <laughs> That's exactly right. So he, he reveals to all of us that he gave them a false one and that we're going to be okay here. But Ramza then realizes, well, shoot, we, we got to get back to Ovilia and Agraeus, who are in danger now because we left them with the Cardinal, who is clearly working with Ludovic to try to get the stone. So just the fact that he failed here and we're not dead doesn't mean that this is over. We've got to get back and help save these people. But Mustadio's like, well, well, wait a minute. Are we about to rush back in there and do all kinds of like militaristic saving of people? Because isn't that going to make an enemy of the crown? And Ramza's is like, look, bro. Right. I done swore off all this stuff. And Ramza gets to give a, a nice little speech here. He says, the people tire of war. They tire of these endless struggles for power. They are afraid and they seek salvation. The Cardinal means only to use this legend of the Zodiac Braves to bring it to them. Only once he's gathered the stones, he'll summon the Zodiac Braves and use their power to rule. Seems a logical conclusion for Ramza to make. Sure. Based on what he's seen so far. Yeah. So Mustadio's father, Besrudio, mm-hmm. Besrudio, agrees and says, we cannot give the stone to the cardinal. 
and we have to rescue Ovelia and Agraeus. Estadio says, yes, indeed, and we will. But the roads leading to Lionel Castle will surely be blockaded. We'll never be able to approach them, throw, overthrow them by force. So we're going to have to take a ship into town. We're going to go incognito. A little. It's time for a little spy activity. We've been a little too much out in the field, uh-huh. don't you think? So Let's everybody, trust... uh, very quickly, change your class to thief. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Go into the the menu. We we got to go incognito here. We've been marching around too much. And then, as the party arrives back at the port city of Argilis, Ramza runs into an old friend. Cogs and gulls. No hint of Lionel's griffins. Delita! What brings you to Argelus? We have ears in many places. Few things escape our hearing. Our? I say this for your sake, Ramza. Return to Egros. Delve no deeper into matters of royal maidens, or those of sacred stones. What have these ears of yours been telling you? You think to save a princess from a burning tower. In truth, you would but set her on a higher floor. There is only one person who can truly save her. And that is what I mean to do. Just what do you imply? It's simple, really. Noble endeavors do not always reach the end that we desire. You cannot save the princess. However hard you endeavor to save her, you would do well to remember that. What then is your end in all of this, Delita? I fear I do not know. The Dukes Larg and Goltana, your brothers and all the rest, they are all of them swept up in a mighty current. A current they cannot see or feel. I simply swim against it. Nothing more. We'll meet again, I should hope. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by following us on Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email us at FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Of course, Patreon is always the best way to get a hold of us. You can do that at Patreon.com slash FFWeekly. And don't forget to check out Patreon.com slash DC Productions for more video game talk and Also conversations on all kinds of other nerdy topics, including comic books and Star Wars and other video games and a whole lot of fun stuff over there. Thanks for listening and join us next time when we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics.